0: Thanks to the hard work of feminist movements and women's organizations, throughout Latin America, women have secured important victories. From Argentina to Colombia to Mexico, not only are women forcing the state to recognize their right to decide over their bodies, they have put women's issues at the forefront of the public agenda, challenging machismo, the patriarchy, and gender based violence. Venezuela is no exception. Indeed, the late Hugo Chavez said, quote, Without the true liberation of women, the full liberation of all peoples would be impossible. And I am convinced that a true socialist must also be a true feminist. End quote. The Bolivarian Revolution has always worked to put social inclusion at the very center of its political program, focusing on attending to the needs of the most marginalized. In a capitalist patriarchal system, this meant expanding the political participation of women. But as Virginia Martinez from Mujeres por la Vida told Venezuela Analysis, This doubled social reproduction work of women who found themselves working, taking care of their families, and taking care of the community. This burden has only grown with the additional challenges brought by the multifactorial crisis the country is facing as a result of the U.S.-led sanctions effort. Venezuelan women today continue to organize and fight for equality, struggling to end machista violence and secure recognition of their sexual and reproductive rights. Welcome to the Venezuela Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Luis Granado Ceja. The Venezuela Analysis Podcast brings you independent, on the ground, English language coverage of Venezuela and the Bolivarian process. You'll hear news and in depth analysis about the country, as well as coverage of leftists and grassroots forces. In honor of International Working Women's Day on March 8th, we're going to talk about the gains and challenges facing the feminist movement in Venezuela. To discuss the topic, we will speak with Daniela Hinojosa, a longtime feminist and founder of Tintia Violeta, a women's organization based on culture, communication, and research. But first, a conversation with Venezuela analysis Andreina Chavez, who talks about the gains for women during the Bolivarian Revolution, and shares her views on women's liberation through socialism. Hi, Andreina, so good to have you here on the program again. And I want to start with this question. What does it mean for you, as a Venezuelan woman, to be a feminist and a revolutionary?
1: Hi, José Luis. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. And that's a great question. Um, You know, I think being a feminist in Venezuela right now means fighting for sexual education in schools. It means fighting for all women of all economic backgrounds to have access to contraceptive methods and to save abortion. So no more teenagers and working class women die. So it is about justice. It's about justice for countless women in my life that were victims of gender violence, of discrimination, for teenagers and young women who are condemned to choose between an education and motherhood, which is something, you know, so normalized in our society. And I think fighting for women's issues In Venezuela, is also making sure that we continue working to leave behind this capitalist society that exploits and oppresses women everywhere, especially women in, in the global south. And I believe that the survival of the Bolivarian process in Venezuela in the middle of U.S. sanctions and blockades depends a lot on supporting women's struggles because we have always been the, the backbone, the, the main mobilizers, the defenders of this process. So if we guarantee our liberation and well-being, I think our society immediately becomes stronger and able to resist the imperialist attacks we are constantly subject to. And, you know, Chavez used to say that every revolutionary has to be a feminist. So the feminist agenda is not secondary, it's not... An outsider is that for later, the feminist agenda is the revolution.
0: Throughout the continent, we've seen an explosion of interest in feminism, feminist theory, and women's organization. As we've seen, it's led to important victories here in Mexico, in Colombia, and other places, uh, but not just with respect to the right for women to decide over their body, but also to address gender-based violence. And yet, Venezuela was a bit ahead of the curve in some regards, with women and gender issues coming to the forefront, very early on. So what was the impact of some of those early policies and reforms of Chavismo?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we can definitely say that the most significant victory for women under the Bolivarian Revolution is that we gained more participation in the country's uh, political, cultural, economic landscape in in, all, in other aspects of life as well. I mean, women, poor women in particular, became visible. And one obvious example is that millions gained identification documents and that alone has a huge implication for any progressive project. And another one is that uh, women began occupying spaces of popular leadership within their own communities. And, you know, they became really the, the backbone of these new popular organizations that were created to tackle key problems in Venezuela's poor neighborhoods, such as access to water and health care. Um, and of course, this also meant that women assumed all this uh, community work in addition to the work they did uh, in their families. So in, we're always going to find these contradictions along the way, so it's important we, we recognize them. But beyond that, it's important to recall that the social programs that Chavez implemented when he came to power in 1998 were crucial to lifting millions of Venezuelans from poverty, and this affected mostly women. And these social missions uh, were created in 2003 to provide access to education, healthcare, housing, and more. And you know, women became full participants as beneficiaries and as in leaders in, of these social missions. And, you know, maybe I can give you like a personal example, if that's okay. And so my mom got to finally finish her education through these social programs. She first studied with Mission Robinson, which is a literacy and elementary school program for adults and then she went to study in Mission Rivas, which is a high school program. And whenever I got to accompany her, what I saw was mostly women students and women teachers and women coordinators. And it felt like a collective emancipatory process, like a solidarity network, like no women in the community was going to be left behind. So it, it was really something amazing to see. And I, I also, I got to see my mom go on a journey of self-discovery, of improving her self-esteem, this feeling of being valuable, feeling more secure when you speak, being able to decide what she wants in life beyond, beyond being a wife or a mother. And also many of these women went on to study in Mission Sucre, which is a university-level program. In many cases, these education programs also came with a, a monthly allowance, something like, like a scholarship, adding some, some level of economic independence to these women's lives. And you have to remember that before Chavez, you know, those previous neoliberal governments were based on exclusion, the exclusion of the working class, the poor, the indigenous peoples, Afro-Venezuelans, and of course, women who often represent everything I just mentioned. And I believe that this has a, a generational impact because these women have family, and they became advocates for their daughters and granddaughters to continue their education as well. So, from my personal point of view, these early policies in during Chavismo, I think we can call these policies a feminist victory as well. And You know, uh, besides that, I think there were other many significant advances for women when it comes to the legislation that was created during the Bolivarian Revolution. And there are a few we we can mention. We have to start with the 1999 Bolivarian Constitution, because it was written with the participation of many sectors of society including women's organizations, and it was later approved by popular vote, so it's very important. This constitution explicitly recognizes gender equality and no discrimination towards women, as well as the use of non-sexist language. It also acknowledges that women's housework is an economic activity that produces wealth for the nation, while also giving housewives access to social security. The the Constitution also recognizes women's sexual and reproductive rights, establishing that women are free to decide the number of children they wish to conceive and and that they should be given the information and the means to be able to do that. There's no specific mention of legal abortion. And besides our Constitution, in that same year, 1999, We have the law on equal opportunities for women, and this is a law that uh, basically it guarantees that women had equal access and equal opportunities in all aspects of life, like education, politics, economy, jobs, and it it even has uh, a specific part for campesino women to guarantee that they can access the land and then they can receive credits and training to produce the land. And uh, also in those early years, like 2001, we had the Women's Development Bank, we had the National Institute for women in a mujer. And um, it is important to highlight that all these new laws were the result of feminist organizations constantly mobilizing and demanding these issues to be put on the political agenda. And this is how in 2007, we got the organic law on the right of women to a life free of violence. And this is a very advanced law. Like Internationally, it's very respected because it specifies more than 20 types of violence against women, including obstetric violence. And just recently, a few weeks ago, the National Assembly added political violence. Uh, This was thanks to our feminist movement. And so, this law also made it possible to create nationwide, nationwide communicational campaigns that helped many women identify they were in a situation of violence and be able to seek help. Uh, I also have to mention that we have the Ministry for Women and Gender Equality that was created in 2009, and this helped elevate women's issues. So, as you can see, I mean, we have like a lot of legislation that were really important to empower women through social justice while creating the necessary legislation to promote equality, eliminate gender-based violence, and all types of discrimination against women. But of course, I have to clarify that having these laws doesn't mean that all these problems were magically solved. Uh, you need to back it up with public policies that should be constantly updated. You need a justice system that is not misogynistic. You need to change the, our country's patriarchal structure. You know that patriarchal logic that blocks the implementation of these legislations, and this is where we find a lot, lots of contradictions, because you know while the constitution and all these legislations exceptionally expanded and promoted the autonomy of women, we haven't really taken any steps into fully addressing core women issues and historical demands. For example, the Constitution recognizes women's sexual and reproductive rights, but beyond that, we have nothing that that guarantees access to contraceptive methods or sexual education in schools in order to make free and informed reproductive choices. So and we also still face a lot of violence in public hospitals. And of course, like I said before, we don't have access to safe, legal and free abortions. So there's even an unofficial estimate that unsafe abortions in Venezuela are the third cause of maternal death. And that's something that can continue to be ignored by our government and institutions. This fight for legal abortion is even is even more urgent now because we've been dragging a years-long economic crisis, and that has basically destroyed our healthcare system. Uh, contraceptive methods have become even more expensive or non-existent for working-class women. Uh, I believe we should have declared a national emergency by now and put abortion legalization on the main political agenda. We haven't, and we haven't, and it's not because feminist groups have fought, haven't fought hard enough, because they have for decades. There are many reasons behind this. I can't name them all, but I can mention one, a few. For example, what I said before that our society still functions under the logic of capitalism. And there are sectors within the Bolivarian process that are still very conservative and they do not want abortion to be legal or for same-sex marriage to be legal. Uh, The evangelical church has a lot of influence right now and it has gained some significant political power in recent years. So these are sectors that are constantly pushing against the feminist agenda. Another reason that I can think about, and I think this is one of the most problematic, is that these conservative sectors in our society, and by extension our political leaders, view women mostly as mothers and caretakers. So every initiative is always aimed at continuing to protect that aspect of women's life and nothing in us. So, you know, while it made sense that the early policies of chavismo were directed to mothers from low-income communities, given that we had a decades-long social debt with them, more than 20 years later, not having developed gender policies for all women and in all areas, guaranteeing the constitution has no justification. So I think there's a huge gap between our feminist movement agenda and the government's agenda. I think the next few years are going to be very challenging for Venezuela's feminist movement. I think mobilization and pressure are going to be key to having these demands become a national discussion. I think having feminist victories in other countries like Colombia is also going to open more opportunities for dialogue.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that story about your mother. You know, I think sometimes stories like that can help us really understand the impact of, of social inclusion policies. You also talked about some conservative sectors of Venezuelan society. And I'm interested in hearing from you, what organizations that you see are doing important work inside of Venezuela, fighting against capitalism and patriarchy and these conservative sectors. Can you talk about the resistance that we're seeing? in the face of some of these more conservative elements? Yes,
1: yeah, so I think all feminist organizations in Venezuela, you know, local, regional, and national, they are all doing amazing work. It is actually heroic who are, what they are doing because you know, we are facing these very difficult times as a country under an economic crisis and a criminal blockade from the United States. So maybe to mention like a few of them, that I personally admire, uh, Tinta Violeta is a feminist collective that has done an amazing job uh, accompanying women and children in situations of violence. And gender violence in, in Venezuela is something that is, is very serious right now. And during the pandemic, they have gone above and beyond given that women were trapped with their abusers 24-7. Um, Tinta Violeta also has a diversity of educational programs for women or for all of society that is also very key to, to sort of push back against the lies that these conservative sectors usually are bombarding us all day, you know, and um, also uh, information is also key. Falda Serre is another great example. I think, you know, they have a secure abortion hotline. And this is basically women can call them to get information, safe information about abortion. And you can imagine how many lives this probably is saving right now. And they also collect all this data to create documents uh, that provide these important numbers and mix this blackout of information regarding abortion. And having these numbers. Help us see that the the abortions in Venezuela affect mostly teenagers, affect mostly poor women, and this is something that it, it affects mothers because most, the majority of abortions in Venezuela are done by poor women that have that already have children, already have the amount of children that they want them to have in life. So it also helps push back against some of the lies that these conservative sectors throw out there. Um, one that I actually really like is Araña Feminista. This is a feminist socialist collective that was created in 2010. And um, you know, they really put the concept of socialist feminism on the mat for many young people. Uh, it, it is a coalition of lots of feminist collectives that have been key to advancing in the fight for legal abortion against gender violence, and deadly sexism in our country. They have opinion pieces in Ciudad Caracas, a chavista outlet that are unmissable for anyone who wants to get the pulse on Venezuela's feminist struggle. And finally, one that I admire a lot, like I admire it greatly, is the Femicide Monitor, which is run by Jaime Zambrano, who is a Venezuelan researcher. So every month, Ima publishes her monitor on the Utopeeds website. And what's really amazing is that the report puts faces and names to these women, so they are not just numbers. And according to the Femicide Monitor, last year, there were 239 femicides in Venezuela. And you have to understand that this data is collected by scanning digital outlets. So imagine the effort behind it. And it actually, it, it underrepresents the actual number of femicides in the country, but it gives us an important information.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of excellent work being done right now. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to remind our listeners that in our next segment, we'll be speaking with Daniela Hinojosa from Tinta Violeta, which is one of the organizations you mentioned. So I have one final question. As you know, uh, our coverage is in English. And I was reviewing some of the materials that we had published around women's issues, around the feminist struggle. And there was a line that really jumped out at me, and I'm going to read it to you. It's from Maria Mercedes Cobo from Alba TV, And she says, in patriarchal worlds and in times of need, deprivation and challenge, women are the most affected, the most held back, and the most likely to be sacrificed. They are also the most overburdened, seeking solutions and taking on survival challenges stemming from the inequality of macho culture. That's a pretty strong indictment what message do you have for our listeners and supporters, for the anti-imperialists and solidarity activists who are involved in trying to stand up and resist imperialism towards Venezuela? Do you think it's necessary for them to confront imperialism through a feminist lens as well?
1: Well, I think the main message I would like to give to every person out there fighting against the many injustices caused by imperialism and these Patriarchal oppression system is that please do not feel demoralized, even if sometimes the struggle feels like it's not advancing. I can assure you that it is. Every effort is a step forward. Every time there's a protest, every time we occupy spaces, every time we speak about women's issues and open the discussion for others is a victory. So basically, every time we are not silent is a victory. And there's always someone listening. There's always a young girl, a young boy, even within our own families and communities. And think that makes us uh, stronger as a movement. And, you know, revolution is a process. The fight against imperialism is a process and is a process that never really ends. Our commitment has to be centered on eliminating racism and sexism, Beginning from within our own revolutionary movements. So, yes, I think it is necessary to confront imperialism because uh, imperialism is based on racism, it is based on sexism, it is based on the oppression of women. You know, uh, the inequality of women stems from the exploitation of the working class by the capitalist class. So the solution for the liberation of women is the solution for the liberation of all of the exploited, all of the oppressed. So, yes, I think we need to confront imperialism through a feminist lens.
0: I think that's a great note to end on. We must confront imperialism from a feminist lens, and we must also practice feminism with a class outlook. Thank you so much, Andreina. It's been great talking to you, as always. Andreina Chavez from the Venezuela Analysis Team.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Educación sexual para decidir, anticonceptivos para no
2: abortar y para no morir.
0: In this segment, Daniela Hinojosa speaks about the work that she and her organization, Tinta Violeta, do to combat machista violence, as well as to defend and advance women's sexual and reproductive rights in a context where the political will to deal with these issues is lacking. Thanks so much for joining us. The courts in Colombia and Mexico recently decriminalized abortion. Meanwhile, we saw that Argentina passed a law legalizing abortion. Do these achievements in the region help advance the fight for decriminalization of abortion in Venezuela? How would you evaluate the current situation in the country to secure the recognition of this right for women?
2: Se ha las feministas, la historia reciente que las luchas son globales.
3: If there's something feminists have proven, especially in recent times, is that our struggles take place on a global scale. The struggles and achievements by our sisters in any country are a boost for struggles in other countries. Not just for the countries themselves, rather, we refuse to pay too much mind to borders. At the end of the day, these are struggles by women in colonized countries, countries from the poorly named Third World, where there is still a lot of ground to cover. But the achievements of our Mexican, Colombian, Uruguayan, Argentinian sisters are a boost. Even the gains of Cuban sisters have been an inspiration for us in Venezuela. But I must say, when it comes to abortion, things are tough. They are tough because we don't see the political will to decriminalize abortion in Venezuela. What we do believe, and what we showed last year, is that the strategy needs to change. Just like our sisters in all Latin American countries, we cannot wait for the government, or for the state, or for politicians to decriminalize abortion, because this is a right. Therefore, we need to go out on the streets and begin by decriminalizing it socially. As long as we don't decriminalize it socially, we feel this political will that I was mentioning is not going to change. Therefore, that is the path we've chosen. It began last year. It began with our march on September 28, 2021. And this year, we are going to continue mobilizing. We are ever more united in this battle. The feminist movement belongs in all territories, with all different kinds of tactics and weapons from different feminism currents. We feel that sooner, rather than later, we are going to score victories in what concerns sexual and reproductive rights.
2: On this point of strategy,
0: we saw in the case of Argentina that it was a years-long struggle, taking to the streets to change people's minds and force state institutions to respond. Meanwhile, we have the other example in Colombia, where they sought change through the courts. What is the path for the feminist movement in Venezuela?
3: Beginning in 2018, a group of female comrades, though acting individually, filed a motion before the Venezuelan Supreme Court that argued that the criminalization of abortion in Venezuela was unconstitutional. In 2019, our organization, Tinta Violeta, backed this request and put on the table the possibility that the Supreme Court would decriminalize abortion on five specific legal grounds. These requests did not receive an answer. They weren't even admitted by the Supreme Court, and we don't believe they will at any point. The first one was in 2018, ours followed in 2019. It's already 2022, and the requests haven't even made it to the corresponding division that would rule on them. This offers us a glimpse of the lack of will, to legalize abortion through the judicial system. There hasn't been any effort to debate the issue or to consult experts. In other words, to do what the judicial system and the Supreme Court as its highest instance, is supposed to do when it comes to this kind of motions that call for a review of the constitutionality of certain articles of the Penal Code. I should add that we are also demanding that the National Assembly strike these articles from the new Penal Code. There is a reform of the organic Penal Code underway, and we are hoping that these articles will be removed. We are talking about articles that were drafted in 1917, So they are now over a hundred years old. They do not correspond to the reality in Venezuela, nor of any other country in the present. Therefore, we are hoping that this will happen. But at the same time, we know that waiting passively will not do, just like years of lobbying has not worked. Because the first request to legalize abortion, filed before what was then the National Congress, was in 1981, And it was brought forward by the Obstetrician and Gynecologist Medical Federation. So by now we are convinced that this is not the way forward, which is why we are taking to the streets. Our goal is to keep pushing to decriminalize abortion socially. How do we do that? There's a lot of ignorance surrounding this issue on the streets. When we go out and ask people if they're aware that in Venezuela not even the classic legal exemptions exist, Abortion in cases of rape or incest. Abortion in cases of fetal malformation where it won't survive. Abortion in cases where the mother's life is endangered. People in the street are surprised because they believe that in Venezuela abortion would be permitted under those circumstances. And that's just not the case.
0: Yes, Can you tell us about the efforts to ensure that machista violence in Venezuela is seen as a social problem and not a private one? Why do you think it's important to have this advance in the understanding in state institutions in
2: particular?
3: Tinta Violeta is a feminist organization and feminist organizations also have ideological responsibilities when it comes to women's rights. We believe that the responsibility over our lives is collective, not individual. And as such, our work in providing proper support for women who find themselves in context of violence is to build feminism every day, building it in concrete, real terms. Therefore, our organization is set up all over the country, working alongside sister organizations. In truth, what we have built is a territorial support network that is made up of several collectives, including Tinta Violeta. And this territorial support is helping women who are the victims of violence, and also doing outreach work, public workshops, setting up support work wherever it is possible. Right now, these territorial support networks are active in 17 Venezuelan states, and we believe we can eventually reach all of the country's 24 states. I have been a feminist for 35 years, working to uphold feminism, but furthermore, I was also a victim of violence. Because it doesn't matter whether you are a feminist, or an engineer, or whatever. As a woman, you can always end up as a victim of violence, whether that's inter-family violence or gender-based violence in general. So this became a life goal for me, because I would not have overcome the situation of violence I found myself in if it wasn't for my friends. As a result, I think we need to have lots of friends, everywhere, offering support from a feminist perspective, from a place of love, to all those women who find themselves in these situations.
2: In Latin
0: America, the feminist movement is very diverse, taking various positions. And in some countries, it comes to represent bourgeois political positions. Meanwhile, the feminist movement in Venezuela is characterized by being anti-patriarchal, anti-capitalist, and anti-imperialist. Why do you consider it to be important that the feminist struggle also have this class consciousness?
3: I'm going to tell you the same things I usually say in my workshops. The feminist struggle cannot be anything but a class struggle. Because we are the true slaves of capitalism. All domination systems have had an enslaved class. And this is precisely the class that rises up more fiercely against the system. In the case of capitalism, that is precisely women. Because women work for no pay. We are slaves to the system by performing labor that is neither recognized nor paid. And that is domestic work. We are the ones that care for others. We are the ones that keep up the system's machinery the capitalist machinery running, because it runs on human beings. It exploits human beings. Workers are exploited. But women, without exception, are all slaves of the system. This means that feminism cannot be anything but anti capitalist.
0: How has the feminist movement in Venezuela worked to avoid falling into polarization and sectarianism that sometimes rears
3: its head in the country? Our ultimate goal is to build a new society, a society where differences are accepted. And I don't mean differences in social issues, but personality differences, gender diversity, a diversity of opinions. Therefore, our struggle is not for power itself. Our struggle is deeply political. It is a dispute that concerns public policies. It's different in that sense we are not interested in fighting for political power, and we're not interested in taking part in electoral contests. But we're very interested in fighting for other things, dignified living standards, as well as other kinds of changes that run much deeper than those that are at stake in electoral battles.
0: As we know, due to patriarchy, women are often burdened with caring for the family and community. How has the economic crisis affected Venezuelan women in particular? What role have women played in social organizations to face these problems?
3: This question could be the topic of a thesis, a PhD thesis. But in a nutshell, it is women who have borne the brunt of the crisis. We have borne the brunt of it because we haven't abandoned our families. The explanation for this is rooted in the responsibility that we, women, feel towards our homes. Not just that, but also towards care, since we have the responsibility of caring for life. What women have done in Venezuela is organize, maintaining the communal way. Most of the time, that is a collective answer to the crisis. We have kept the economy going, and we have kept life going, which is much more important than the economy. Women organizations and community organizations have been finding answers for the crisis through the organization of the CLAP subsidized food programs, also through exchanges with countryside producers in lots of different ways. Because one of the problems we started to face in 2015 was food shortages, and women found an answer to that. There are also plenty of productive efforts going on right now productive efforts that are very close to what in academic circles would be called a circular economy. These are initiatives that promote the local circulation of money and resources. And this offers a chance for the individual initiatives by many sisters and comrades to flourish. So we are finding solutions, step by step. Solutions that begin on a small scale, which is typical for women's initiatives. Solutions inside our homes. Solutions from the community and we keep the most vulnerable ones safe and sound.
0: Do you have any final thoughts for the
3: audience? Well, I'd like to salute our sisters in Colombia for their great achievement in getting abortion decriminalized. And I'd like to tell Venezuelans, men and women alike, that the decriminalization of abortion in Venezuela is nothing more than having women recognized, once and for all, as full citizens with all their rights. As it stands, our bodies are managed by the state. Our bodies are decided upon by men and we're treated like children, as if we are unable to make decisions about our bodies and about our lives. No one cherishes life more than women because effectively we care for the other half of the population. So let us decide.
0: Thank you so much for your time, your experience and knowledge, and for helping us inform the public about the women's struggle in Venezuela. That's our program for today. Thank you for joining us. Remember, our on-the-ground work is 100% funded by readers. Please consider making a one-time donation or becoming a subscriber by visiting our website. You can also support us on Patreon. Supporters on Patreon get early access to these podcast episodes. Be sure to visit us at Venezuelanalysis.com for regular news and analysis on all things Venezuela. We're also everywhere on social media, from Telegram to Instagram and, of course, Twitter. If you enjoyed the program, please share it with your friends and leave us a review if you can. It really helps us out. We'll close today's episode with a song called "La Mujer Bolivariana."
2: La Mujer Bolivariana es la dulzura de un pueblo capaz de mover montañas y de derrocar imperios. La Mujer Bolivariana es la dulzura de un pueblo capaz de mover montañas y de derrocar imperios. Zamora. Echando con violencia los soldados de mi pueblo